Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Russell Smith, for becoming a patron of the original cast. If you'd like to get thanked on this podcast, just go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and swear undying loyalty to the original cast. There are several tiers of patronage, but they all come with access to our patrons-only podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. August's movie is the beloved, now 40-year-old classic, The Muppet Movie, featuring married couples Lee Liebeskind and Megan Reichelt, as well as myself and my wife, Kelly. My wife. Again, patreon.com slash originalcastpod. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart... I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a singer and actress. It's Alexandra Silber, everybody. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks Good. for having we me. Are. Thank you for being had. We are here in, uh, in your home, question mark. Uh-huh. Um, in my, Ol- my regional digs. Yeah, you go. In Olney, where you are appearing as Sally Bowles, yeah. Fräulein Sally Bowles in yes. Cabaret. But we're not here to talk about Cabaret. No. We're here to talk about... The Secret Garden. It's, oh, it's, um, I think just sem- a seminal recording for me. So how, a, did, uh, how did it come into your life? You know, it's interesting. I was not only a big musical theater lover, mm-hmm. but I was a big reader as a, as a kid, mm-hmm. and I, I still am. Um, and it's interesting, I think, that uh, there were, not to get serious very quickly, but my, my my big sort of story as a child and one of the big like mythological moments of my life was that my, my father was very ill when I was growing up. Mm. And I think that I retreated into my imagination and into my creative life to deal with those big questions. And one of the things that's really beautiful about both this book uh, by Francis, Francis Hodgson Burnett. Yeah, hard to say. Um, but, uh, but also this musical is that it is about the power of nature and mindset to heal. Mm-hmm. And also exploring the nature of loss. Yeah. And I think that as a young kid, I, of course, found our young female protagonist struggling to heal the world was a very powerful parallel for me in my personal life sure so i was i fell in love with the book and then the musical came out in 1995 i think i think 93 93 well it came into my life in 1995 that's fine um let's find out let's find out 1991 we were both oh we were both wrong darn it so the musical came out in 1991 there we go (laughs) and i uh 
I just remember being a young girl and uh, identifying with Mary Lennox, uh, really also um, feeling like I had a new sense of empathy and compassion for the Craven family and their loss. And um, just, I don't know, the power of the the power of mindset and nature to heal the sick and what was just something that really moved me. So I think it was given to me by family friends on a little cassette, mm-hmm. good old cassettes mm-hmm. and, uh, was, you know, first experienced on my like little Walkman and then in the car. And it just became one of the things our family would listen to, which I think was also very powerful. Sure. And also I think as a budding, singer and actor myself those were voices that taught me to sing you know those were the those were the voices that uh so many of them became so uh had such longevity robert westenberg of course mandy patinkin i love hold on quick pause love that you said robert westenberg first can i just say that i i I just want to say there's a simpatico moment here thank you so much so like so amazing let's just like let's just take a sacred moment moment for robert westenberg Westenberg. absolutely and um and like robert westenberg we miss you on broadway um i know he's off in st louis he's a great teacher right um and i just kim crosby what are you guys doing get back here anyway cinderella and her prince ran away to the woods he did like Four of the most important shows of my youth. I know, same. And then, you know, I mean, God bless him. He's doing great. Yeah, but it is totally. that thing of just like, totally. are you um, kidding me? Like, you're not coming back. But his voice uh, <laughs> yeah. is... Oh my gosh, yeah. His voice, both as a, literally a singing voice, but, you know, as an artist was so um, formative in yeah. those four recordings, like you said. Um, but yeah, Robert Westenberg, of course, Mandy Patinkin. And I think for yeah. me, as like a budding soprano, Rebecca Luker. Oh, sure. And I... I mean, I wrote this like open letter to Rebecca Luker a couple years ago on my blog Mm -hmm. that it was so interesting because I had met her. Oh, I found that. Oh, yes. I did find that because, yes, there's the picture of the two of you on there, right? So it was, and I, I, Becca, hi. I love you. Um, And it was this really beautiful moment where we had met a couple of times and I went to see her cabaret at 54 Below. This was long before I did Fiddler with her husband, Danny Burstein. And I would follow Rebecca, you know, to her cabaret in Guam. Like, sure, right. I'm a fan. Such a fangirl. And at the end of the night, she was like, oh, hi, Al. And I was like, she knows my name. <laughs> like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And it, that continued on when, um, when we, when I was doing Fiddler with Danny, she'd like come into the theater and she's like, hi, Al. And I was like, she remembers <laughs> me, you know. And I think one of my favorite memories about Becca as well, this is just so her, such a wonderful, humble, beautiful artist. Um, At the Tony party for Fiddler, (laughs) sorry, at the Tony party for Fiddler, we get to the end of the night and everyone's kind of heading out. And I said, Becca, do you mind if we get a picture? And Mm -hmm. she goes, sure. And she picks up her phone and she points it at me. And I go, no, I... I meant, can I get a picture with you? And she's like, oh, sure. And you just sort of go, oh, the stars are just Just like like us. us. Um, Yeah, yeah. But I think the most important thing about that, though, is that her voice was one of the voices. Her, Marin Maisie, Donna Murphy, Audra Mm -hmm. McDonald were the voices that formulated what musical theater sounded like when I was growing up. Sure. And so in a lot of ways, those women taught me to sing. Hmm. 
and particularly Rebecca because our voices are soprano voices and uh I I credit that to her and I thank her for that and you know it's sometimes you have to write these open letters because you're like I just have to get this appreciation sure but the secret garden was how I quote-unquote met Met her her, encountered her for the first time um and yeah, I think it's interesting. I never saw the production. I never saw the Broadway production. Oh, really? I never saw the touring production. Really? Oh, wow. It was just something that existed in my mind. And huh. one of the things I think is really special about the Secret Garden cast album is some cast albums are, of course, the big songs, the 13 mm-hmm. songs that make up the evening, and we don't include the book scenes. Right. And what's so beautiful about Secret Garden... Oh, like 40 tracks on this thing. Right. You pretty much get the entire show. 36. I was very close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the book scenes are so minimal that when you see a production, you know almost all of it by heart because mm-hmm. of this cast album. So what is really beautiful is it takes on this experience of like radio drama. Yeah. So what I think I really loved about it and what made it additionally special to all the things I've already mentioned is... It was this marriage for me of the things that were healing, which is a retreat into a private universe, which you get from books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. People often ask me, you know, because I write books as well, and people ask me to sort of compare and contrast the art forms. And one is that theater by its nature is a social art form that must be created socially and mm-hmm. consumed socially. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just, you know, recite monologues in the forest. I suppose you can, but that's not the, uh, it's not the, it's purpose. And it's certainly not like why it was created in Epidaurus. You know what I mean? Um, it was created for group and social catharsis and writing and reading by its very nature are created and consumed in solitude. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I found really complimentary. And I, I definitely have a ambivert personality where there is a part of me that loves socializing, loves connecting with other people, but does need a lot of time alone to process life. Mm-hmm. And so those art forms are very complementary. And what's interesting about cast albums, particularly when they're as complete as this one, yeah, and any radio drama really, um, is this beautiful balance of those things. You are in solitude consuming a theatrical universe mm-hmm. and it becomes the theater of the imagination and the theater of the mind. So it is given to you and you meet it uh, with everything that you create. Um, You're not necessarily consuming images. You're creating them by what you're hearing. And I feel like this album does that really well. Well, and it is also the story of the show and the book. Completely. Is this character who desperately wants to be alone when we find her and is fine on her own right and then learns through the beautiful solitude of where she is and her own stubborn nature Uh that she needs people and she sort of begrudgingly accepts their help and also then welcomes them in and then you know this beautiful community is formed real fast just for anyone who doesn't know though i kind of would be hard pressed to find them do you can you give them a quick synopsis of the story of the secret garden so the secret garden's protagonist is a young girl named mary lennox who is found in India during the sort of English occupation of of Mm -hmm. India, um, where her parents and their community have just died of a malaria outbreak. So she's orphaned and is sent to live with her widower uncle, Archibald Craven, 
in Yorkshire in a manor house called Misselthwaite Manor. Manor, yes. And she discovers that even though he is her guardian, along with his brother, Dr. Neville Craven, um, the house is incredibly uh, burdened by the darkness of the loss of Archibald Craven's wife. And she also discovers that in this house is the son of Archibald and Lily Craven, who is uh, very, very ill. And through the power of the people from Yorkshire, um, the maidservants, her brother that works on the moors, uh, she learns that there is a garden that Lily Craven had that has now gone long untended. And through the symbolism of unlocking this garden, tending this garden, and uh, encouraging young things to grow, she, with the help of the people around her, not only heals herself, but heals this family. Mm-hmm. And it's about the power of nature mm-hmm. and of mindset to heal. Yeah, it really is. It's an amazing and as you say, story. though, it's also, <laughs> well, so I recently reread, I don't know when the last time you read the book was. Oh, I think I was a child. Yeah, so my mom used to read it to me all the time. And then we went to see this when it was on tour. And that's our first, that was my first encounter with uh-huh. it, was The Road Company, which featured um, Audra McDonald and. Uh, Roger Bart. Oh, yeah. He's Dickon. Yeah. Oh, my god. It's pretty funny. So I read the book to my son recently, and I was struck by how kind of meandering the book is. Like, the book is very meditative and a lot more about the the nature of it all and the sort right. of the harmonious living with it, which are ideas that were very of their time, the right. sort of transcendental movement. And the whole last chunk of the book is really we we it drops mary and colin off and it just focuses on archibald in paris and Mm. then his journey back to the house right um so it is a very it is it is a very meandery book that was a very meditative book it's kind of not as linear as i remember being in the musical does a really good job i mean when you have marcia norman writing your book you're gonna (gasps) be fine totally making that plot much more of a straight arrow to um to the ending but the thing the musical more than the book focuses on um, the grief yeah, and the general, the, the, the pall that holds over everything and really makes Archibald such an interesting oh, character. I, I think it's so, I love that. And you know, yeah. my, my memoir, White Hot Grief Parade is about the loss of my dad. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I encountered in writing it and also in sharing it with the world is this sort of surprise. I don't know why it's surprising, but this surprising realization that we don't talk about grief very often. Yeah. And when we do, we don't talk about it very well. No. And it's this extraordinary mixture of intense, raw human emotion and also forcing us to face our own mortality Mm -hmm. and the own, our own realization that, this and is lack an address rehearsal completely. Yeah, yeah. And I love that so many of Burnett's books focus on grief and mm-hmm. also focus on the impact grief has on people at various stages of their lives. Yeah. Like what I think is really fascinating is that Mary in the loss of her entire family right. and world around her has a level of resilience and a level of, um, one might say tabled trauma right? because she has a responsibility to grow up. Yeah. And I think I felt that mm-hmm. losing I, my, I, my dad died when I was 18 
And I remember feeling, I have to table the intensity of this Mm -hmm. because I have a responsibility to become myself. Yeah. And when that had occurred, um, I was either, if you will, ready to face it, strong enough to face it and, and process it correctly and metabolize it. But I also um, don't think I had a choice. You know, my, sure. my psyche sort of told me it was time. And then in, in contrast, Archibald, to, to Mary's resilience, Archibald is totally and utterly crushed by his grief. Mm-hmm. And we, we see a man who, I think she paints him so vividly in the book, yeah. As a man who truly believed he would never know love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to not only lose your love, your partner, the mother of your child, but to lose the only person you could ever conceive of loving and loving you back so truly um, is a loss to grief for him to bear and go on with. And his connection to his son is so marred because of it and it's the beautiful thing that mary heals that relationship and gives them a way to communicate without trying the thing i love that's so gorgeous yeah Yeah. and it's not but it's almost against her will like mary is such an interesting character to me because she isn't like you'd expect the story to be pollyanna like this little pluckish girl who comes in and like with her charm it's like annie she's a pill she doesn't nobody likes her i mean it's the whole and what's great about mary is that she like you say she doesn't know She's experienced trauma. She's just been living her life. And right. this is the way she thinks life is. And nobody likes it's you. It's her reality. People dress you and you scream and yell when you want something. And they give you. And she doesn't know anything about the attention she's craving or the love she wants. Like right. that's not in, even in her mindset. Right. And She has needs that need to get met. Right. And she, she's never learned how to meet them any other way. Right. But oddly, she's perfectly prepared yeah. to break through this house, which is in this terrible state of arrested development completely and she just because she you know she hears somebody crying and says what is that and she can tell they're lying right goes well i'll figure it out then like nobody told me like they told me not to well i'm definitely gonna do it now oh you can't go in that garden well then i'm going in that yeah yeah yeah. and that's exactly somebody needs to kick the door down and say break the rules break the paradigm and it's totally she's so wonderful for that yeah like that that great resilience that then as you say like she's not out to heal everybody she doesn't really care at the beginning of the book about anybody even herself ends up yes creating this beautiful what i think is really beautiful about what lucy simon and marcia norman did as well like you said in streamlining it Mm -hmm. is i think they created a very vivid soundscape that she's somehow unconsciously compelled to do Mm -hmm. this right like they use Lily's ghost. They use the ghosts of her family. They use India and the healing power of the Yorkshire Moors as something that's calling her to do yeah. these things. The Robin helps her find the key. And so she's just following these instincts and signals that she awakens to. And one of the things I find really interesting about that and I identify with is what, before my dad passed away, I, I was a pretty like secular kid mm-hmm. I had pretty secular upbringing and had never really thought about any of those big questions I like you know I'd read Macbeth I knew like not to screw around with the Ouija board like I don't know you know I, right. I didn't think about it much and what's interesting is it's, I was just talking about this the other day um, our director 
of Cabaret, who I've worked with several times now, Alan Paul, is it, he had a big commute getting out to the Olney. And he's sure. like, I thought this would be the moment for me to do Harry Potter. I haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. And I'm going to listen to it on my commute to and from home. And I thought, sure. what a great project. Mm-hmm. That's terrific. And he made it all the way to book five. Oh, wow. So, but it's interesting. Um, and, you know, spoiler alert, oh, you haven't I, read. For crying out loud. For yeah, crying no, out loud. Fine. Yeah. But spoiler alert. <laughs> For Harry Potter I would, 5. I would assume the Venn diagram of people who listen to a podcast about original cast albums and have read all of Harry Potter twice S- is almost several a circle. Times. Yeah, I, so I, you know. Thank you for yeah. your permission. But just in I'll, case. I'll take the heat if it comes down. Okay, so just, but I did say spoiler. Yes, you did. Um, when Harry um, is at the Ministry of Magic and is, uh, is being protected by Sirius Black, who's the mm-hmm. only physical oh God, guardian exactly. oh, right, yes, you're right. is oh, the only physical guardian he's ever known there's this door with a curtain in front of it where he can hear these whispers and speaking voices of people that have passed over to the other world beyond of the of the dead mm-hmm. and he can hear the whispers and it's just on the other side of this curtain and there's this moment that i actually think is uh beautifully executed in the film it's i don't love all the films but this image is very well done um where uh bellatrix lestrange kills sirius black and he is knocked through the edge of that curtain and is taken into the curtain and it's a moment Mm -hmm. and then suddenly harry has access to a huge new ability to hear and speak and be connected to the dead that way. Mm -hmm. And of course, by the end of the series, just before his huge, huge fight with Voldemort, all of those people are, we've been here the whole time. They, they come to tell him we've been here the whole time. And I have to say, I, I think I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. And I think the very first time I ever had a visualization for me, which was of course through soundscape, was the secret garden, was mm. the fact that all of her relatives, her mother, her father, the, her, the ayah, her people that cared for her, um, and Lily uh, are speaking to her yeah. and guiding her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I don't necessarily know what I believe concretely, sure. but I know that I believe that we don't really know anything. Yeah. And why not believe in something that feels comforting and true to the individual. Well, and why not live in the doubt? You sure. know, like it, there's nothing it, you wrong with... You know what, I with, love that. Yeah, yeah. I actually think the role of mystery is so crucial to the depth of experiencing humanity. And my God, Well, this, and not closing yourself off to the possibility of right. other answers. The, the yeah. joy of, I don't know, the joy of doubt, too. I was mm-hmm. actually, um, I was I, speaking of, wow, we're really going yeah, we're all over the map the here, but right I love here. it. Yeah. Um, I was listening to an interesting podcast about doubt and this, it was a Ted talk and this woman was talking about the role of Muhammad when he was first charged by the angel and like, you're going to lead, mm-hmm. you're going to lead Islam. That his first instinct was not, uh, okay, belief. Right. I'm up to this task. His first instinct was, did this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, am I losing my mind? Can I, if this is true, can I do this? And he retreated into the desert to think about it. And I do think that what I love about that is it celebrates the role of mystery and the beauty of mystery, like you were saying, and also the role of doubt in true faith, right? Like that, that you, if you just blindly believe it's not the same as rumbling with something and making the choice. Right. Um, And 
all getting back to the secret garden, I think what's really interesting is that she, this young girl, 10, 11 year old girl is simply compelled by forces she doesn't understand uh, and heals herself. And it's forces she's in tune to. I mean, she yes. is very, she's very open for someone who is super closed off, like from people. She's yes. very open to the world and sort of, Indeed. she likes the Robin. I mean, the Robin is the first person. Ben is really the first person she likes, but like Ro- yes. the Robin is the first being where she's like, um, like I, I want him yes. to like me. That's yes. the first instance of that. That's is like, so true. Who is like where? Wh- and it's it's all those nature connections. And it's it, it is the I mean because it's all the same thing to me is the connection between the fear of grief and the fear of doubt. Yeah, is all just fear, and it is that same thing That's of so true. of Archibald. As Mary and Archibald are excellent in this in this musical, not so much in the book, but in the musical, um, the decision seems to be made to make them parallels of each other and and beautiful opposites absolutely yeah. and have this they're both wrestling kind of with this a similar issue one very consciously and one very unconsciously totally. and when because i mean their first meeting which is so beautiful on the cd with, i know are you my uncle archibald Who's that? it's mary lennox sir are you my uncle archibald yes i am good morning child are you going to be my father now I'm your guardian, though I'm a poor one for any child. I offer is you my... Is this my Aunt Lily in this picture? Yes, it is. Where did you is get her? Is she a ghost now? Why? Have you heard her? I heard someone crying in the house last night, but I don't know anything about ghosts. Is my father a ghost now? Does everyone who dies become a ghost? They're only a ghost if someone alive is still holding on to them. I offer you my deepest sympathies on your arrival. Did my mother have any other family? That little tiny scene is, is yeah. so lovely and perfectly illustrates the issue. <laughs> like a lot of the yes. issues that they're going to have with each other. Right. And the... Th- that, that, but I mean, Archibald's big problem, like you said, is this, is this fear. The, the grief of the loss of, of someone who thought they would never be loved. Right. But more than that is the fear going forward that he is not worthy of love, but also can't give love. I mean, it's that the, the central fear with his son seems to be, aside from the fact that he's afraid his son is sick and he's like, there's a lot of tangible fears there, right. which are being fed very actively, is this general, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Right. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm curious, not to uh, turn the no, interview ahead, tables, it but... It's a conversation. I'm, you know. I'm curious as... The father of a son. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's what's so interesting to me is, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is the role of parenting, of course, has changed for us in the 21st century. I think we ask ourselves a lot more pointedly why we have children, mm-hmm. um, whereas previously it was a self-evident sure. thing we had to do. Right. Um, and... But the why and also uh, the role of having children in the individual's story and development. So, right, like that you and Archibald um, were yourself and that at a certain point, one of your identities in addition to your professions, in addition to your loves, Mm -hmm. um, was parent. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting, of course, is that we as children have this myopic view of the world and we view our parents as 
there to serve us. And certainly in the late 20th and early 21st century, that's true, Mm -hmm. you know, to have these enchanted childhoods or whatever. Um, But, you know, I think what's so fascinating is um, what could cause a riff like that? What could be so overwhelming for a father that he couldn't bear to parent his son? Well, it is... Because I don't know what that's like. Well, it's so... I mean, fathers now, so especially then, aren't expected to parent in the same way. That's so true. Um, Especially then. Gosh, I didn't think of that. And it is something that... So I think that there's a sort of sense that in, in... it may not sound like a generous reading, but I think it's taking Arch- meeting Archibald where he is. Right. There was a certain expectation, not only that the servants will take care of it, but his wife would take care of it. And he would be there to do, he would, in the best possible reading, learn from her, like, right. how the hell to do this. Right. And, but it really wouldn't be his problem. And now it is all his problem. Right. And he doesn't have the only emotional support he could ever possibly have. I mean, being a parent is, is, it's terrifying 24 hours a day. And I mean, it, it's the, 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 it's not incongruous to me, but it's the hardest thing to read in this book for me or right? in the musical is the fact that, I mean, it's been nine years and like, this is what you've been doing for a day. De- I mean, my son is nine. Like, this is what yeah. you've been doing for the better part of the decade. Right. That seems crazy to me. And I obviously a lot of this, we're going to take on suspension of disbelief and, and all that other stuff. It's not unbelievable to me. The son would be raised and live and educated. Right without his father ever being in the room. But it just hurts me in a very like yeah. specific and, 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 and personal way. And I think what's so, going back to the album, like the um, Race You to the Top of the Morning, uh, oh, which God, is yeah. where, I know, where Archibald sneaks into Colin's room and tells him this story while he's sleeping yeah. is the best he can do. Now another foul dragon's appeared. I must leave you. He's scorching our land with his breath. From his lair, this one taunts me, he dares me, he haunts me. Once again, we must fight to the death. Would to God I could stay and instead slay your dragon, this beast who sits hunched on your back. Would God I could wrench him away from your bed, or cut off or tear off his terrible head. Could breathe up my fire on him till he was dead. Or beg him to spare you and take me instead. And it's loving mm-hmm. and it's whimsical and it's a parallel of their lives. Um, but he can only do it when his son isn't conscious. Yeah. Um, it's such a, you know, it's again like such a beautiful symbol of one of the things I love about the theater. Um, is that action can speak so much more than any description could ever offer Mm -hmm. you. And, you know, again, like sort of comparing and contrasting books and theater. What's amazing about books is that you can have paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of what's happening inside a character's head and motivations and past before they ever say anything. But contrary-wise, in the theater, one articulate action can speak yeah. volumes. And I feel like that song gives us this aperture into Archibald's soul of he does love this boy. He does view him as a piece of Lily. Yeah. Um, 
but he is, he, and he's aware of his limitations. Yeah. Well, and he's, he, well, I don't even. He, and it's so good. It is so good. I mean, yes, um, it's, it's so good. And it's Manny, you know, Manny Patinkin. Patinkin and it's so good. Yes, roaring. No, it's it's right. fantastic. And, but it is the great thing that the musical can do, which is give him a song to sing that seamlessly drifts from, he's reading this book to, well, he's not really reading this book anymore. He's kind of talking about himself, himself and his son to then he's overtly talking about himself and his son. Right. And he gets to fully release that emotion in the moment and tell us exactly how right. he feels with those final lines of, you know, he would he would gladly trade places with his son if he could. Um, right. And there is that, I mean, the wonderful lack of understanding, wonderful or, or terrible lack of understanding of like how these things for like will he have will he be right. hunchback as is the phrase used in the book i don't have a better one i'm sorry um th- will his son have the same similar physical affliction that he has and how will that affect his life because archibald does view himself it seems to me as something of a monster yeah and the book really goes a lot out of its way to sort of paint him that paint way. him agreed yeah and he's very he's mysterious he's a man who wears all black and marches around a dark house like right. he's a little bit like you know the dragon in the castle right and he isn't that at all. And the only, as you say, only one person ever saw that and she's dead. Mm-hmm. So now the, the musical does do something that I'm of two minds about. And that is to the Robert Westenberg of it all, mm-hmm. which is the character of, of Neville. the doctor right. who Neville is a character in the book. This is something I always got wrong. Um, and re- so that he does have a brother in the book who wants the house and there's a doctor and I, I can't remember if his brother is also a doctor. There's a lot of characters in the book who just sort of get amalgamated. Mm-hmm. But what the musical does, because every adaptation of this book, I've seen every movie based on this book. And they oh, wow. all, yeah, I mean, there's only like four of them, but it's still, um, and they all decide that there's going to be a villain. Like there has to be a villain to the story. Right. And like in the one with Maggie Smith, Mrs. Oh, Medlock's gosh, the villain. Yes. Yeah, you remember that one? So she's the villain in that book, even though that character is not a villain anywhere. And it's usually <sighs> like, somebody is influencing in the background and they have to be dismissed. And in this, it is, it is Neville. It is the doctor. And they add this level of the fact that he was in love with Lily. Yeah. And I mean, it's Lily's eyes for crying out loud. Like, I'm not gonna. Like, can we just take a moment for Lily's eyes? We can. while you listen to that yeah listeners it was yeah and it's a tr- but it's a moment i remember when i saw the show having not heard it that my mom and i who were devotees of the book kind of going hmm what is this i don't know and it wasn't i didn't recoil at it i uh-huh. still don't but there is a moment of like 
I get it. Like, you want to give him, as a writer, I perfectly get it. You want to give him a very clear motivation. You want yes. to, like, he's kind of bad for Archibald, and a little bit of it is jealousy, and a little bit of it is that regular younger brother, of not, not an heir to the house kind of right. thing. It's all mixed together. I think it's, I actually think it's a, a really, you, you know, interestingly, like, as a, creative artist you ask yourself things like okay if the you know sometimes you can work backwards and sometimes you can work inversely and say things like okay if this is the behavior that we need to move the story forward what can we put in there that would justify that Mm -hmm. behavior and that does give it a level of emotional heft Mm -hmm. that simply ambitiously wanting the house yeah. Does not Doesn't provide. quite get, yeah. And I think it also, it's an action and a plot point that also therefore really creates Saint Lily, right? Sure, it, that's it, true. It, it creates something about her that is now passed on to Mary that is arresting and is going to change the house the way Lily changed the house. Yeah. And it does clearly you know, set up his antagonism towards Mary specifically. Actually, yes. you said that, I didn't think about that. That it, Mary represents a danger to the status quo for that him. That he's controlling. Yeah, because he won't, he can't really manipulate things the way he wants to if Mary is even there. I mean, it's not even, it's before she right. starts doing stuff that he kind of notices she looks just like Lily. Right. And like, that's not great for me, you know, as a, and it also screws him up. I mean, it really like, well, it, it, it just, it seems to mess up everybody. It gives, the thing that I think is crucial is that after an act and a half of Neville's antagonism, seeming mm-hmm. antagonism, we get an, we get a peek into why, mm-hmm. which is that he is also grief stricken. And we didn't, we didn't know that. We didn't know that. Yeah. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that he's grief stricken and that he is dealing with his grief in the way a lot of people deal with grief, which is by throwing himself into his work and into hyper controlling his environment. Yeah. And she, Mary threatens to upend that. Yeah. And so I think it does create a really beautiful and emotional dramatic truth. Um, and something for them all to fight. Well, and that's why I love, like, one of the things that I absolutely adore in this musical is the quartet. I can arrange what he wants. Do He's this. left it all to me. Don't wet him. Now he can have what he wants. Unfettered he Don't will be. Set him free set to him wander free. through the world. Let, Let him go his lonely way. And I long to join them. Know the peace they feel, the journey come. Then I will once more them. wander on. And
in high school with some amazing people. Did you really? I did in high school in like a musical theater class with, I played Lily, Michael Arden played Archibald, Nick Mayo played Neville, and McCalla Hansen played Rose. And everyone really did go on to yeah do it those you are know? all na- those are all people yeah and um <laughs> and it was it was an amazing That's funny. uh yeah it was amazing and but the quartet is so beautiful because you do see into how the romance began how everyone feels about each other well that's that's so the good. the really it's the only thing we get from Mary's mother yeah. that isn't in the ghost ethereal plane kind of co- the only thing and the we only hear- thing we get from Lily that isn't in that that plane. isn't in that plane you're true we, right it's the only scene we see of Lily alive yeah where she's it's a where it's a um a flashback yeah so you see her living you don't see her um in well, a, being kind of Obi Wan Kenobiing around the house. Oh, and sort I love of that like, you yeah. just said that. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Totally. Guiding people where they need to go. Exactly. And, yeah. um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing to be able to see those people in the past, as a, mm-hmm. um, and to really see how much she loved this man. Yeah. Um, well, and it is that, but it's it's also all ties in. God, this is a well written show. Yeah. With the um, again, Marsha Norman, Lucy Simon, great. Yeah. Marsha Norman won a Pulitzer Prize for crying out loud. Yeah. The um. The parallel between, like, basically all Rose and Neville are arguing is that Archibald needs to be cut off from the world. Like, put in a box and just left over here and just don't interact with this, whatever this is. Right. Because of his physical deformity in, in, in Rose's case and in Neville's case because of his emotional damage. And also for what Neville wants. And... It's that thing of cut off from pain and loss. But that's what he's doing. I mean, he's living that way. He's living cut right. off from pain and loss. And he's not because you can't do you that. can't do that. But it is the societal approach, as we say, yeah. to grief and to this sort of thing of like, we do it to ourselves. It's yeah. the idea of like, I shouldn't still be feeling bad about this or I shouldn't still be letting this bother me. And it's, you know, it's these things of, of like, right. you can't, you can't do it. It doesn't function that way. No. I have, I have a, a, a good friends of mine who, um who actually just had a baby, but uh, lost the baby before that um, oh, I'm so stillborn sorry. baby. And it was, and um, Jill Knox, who's who's the, the mother in question, who has become my hero because she lived her grief very out loud on Instagram as a kind of personal catharsis, but also as a way to show other people that like, this is okay. This is what it is. And she still does it. I mean, it, she has, they have a beautiful daughter now, but it's been, you know, over, I don't know how long, two years probably at this point. And it still gets to her and it yeah. still affects her. And it's important. I'm glad. I'm so glad she's doing it to remind everyone that to like destigmatize. When there's no, it doesn't grief. just go away. No, it just it it is always always a part of you of in some way, and you can accept that, mm-hmm. and you can when it hits you really hard, be like, okay, not today. Like I can't today. Right. We'll try again tomorrow. It, you but know. you know that you're handling it, managing it, yeah. allowing it is not the same as denying it. Right. You're living with it. Um, it's invisibility does not healing equal. Yeah. And, you know, I think I often say this about the loss of my dad. And not only the loss. I think I've learned over the years that the loss of a of a level of freedom and innocence in my childhood at the yes. presence of his illness. Oh, yes. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think I initially believed that everything crashed at 18, but it really crashed at nine when he was diagnosed, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't realize that the sort of Damocles was over our heads, sure. if you will. Um, and I had such wonderful parents that, you know, were 
you know, my mother especially has this quality of an unbelievable ability to grasp joy in almost any scenario. She actually reminds me a lot of Dolly Levi, um, not necessarily mm. in the um, about townness, sure. but in the joy regardless sure. quality. Um, and what I think is so essential is to recognize and embrace that the that loss for me is it's like the earth and the moon. It has that much gravity. It yeah. will, every event in my life, every relationship, every encounter I have, every piece of art I engage with will be measured by its proximity and relevance to that event Absolutely. and to that loss. Mm-hmm. And not in an obsessive way, but like you said, in an integrated well, way. Well, it's a seminal moment. I mean, it's a bookmark. Totally. And we, you have to have those. You know, you yeah. don't. And some, because it's actually important that you said that. I think, though, that the death of childhood, childhood dies in tiny moments for yeah. most people. And it is like, I mean, for my son, when his sisters were born, yeah. part of his childhood died because right. he suddenly had to be a big, big brother. brother. He wasn't the only one in the house. He had to have responsibilities. He had to grow up a tiny, like just now in a very, very tiny way. I'm of not course. overstating it, but it is, it's a moment of that course. you have. And these are the, the moment when you're sort of cut loose even into middle school. And it's like, well, now you've got to figure this out a little more on your own. Totally. That's a death of childhood. That's uh-huh. a small moment. But moments like that of a parent getting sick, of somebody dying. I mean, for, I had a friend die of uh, cancer when I, he was 10 and I was 10, Ugh. is a huge... I mean, and like you say, that's a bookmark for me. There's sure. before David died and after. There's before... I mean, it's a lot of death stuff before my friend Jeff died when I was 14 and after. There are these moments right. of like... the And like what before my kids were born and after. Of course. These are bookmarks in your life as you move forward yeah. in ways that like school and career aren't there's these hard emotional right turns and I you really have to go, love like, that yeah. I I often use a metaphor I talk about it a little in my book um this this concept of like the museum of our personal museum of memory like mm-hmm. the, or the library of memory sure that kind of what you're describing that the section breaks are these moments mm-hmm. right these seminal moments that you're like oh that's the section before David died. That's yeah. the section before my father died, and that's the section after. And for me, I really in the library metaphor, I really do see that everything before my father is the children's section. Sure, you know. And I think that to embrace and face the reality of those things is crucial to being present in the world. Yeah. And I think going back to the Secret Garden. The, the image and the metaphor of a living, thriving garden is the metaphor of being alive, awake, and present in the world regardless of, you know, they say, uh, you know, if a thing is wick, like yeah. it, it can look, it can look dead. Mm-hmm. It can almost feel dead, but as long as there's a little bit of green, it's wick, it's yeah. alive. And... Um, to hold on to our inner wick, if you will, mm-hmm. and recognize that like by incorporating and integrating the pains, the losses, the drought years, the bad soil, right. um, we can grow mm-hmm. and, and thrive even. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I, fe- I personally feel, I wonder if you feel this way too, but to face those uh, big, big seminal moments so early and have them be so extreme, the, yeah. the loss of someone you love, the loss of a, a friend as a child, the loss of a parent in the, in the middle of being raised, um, I think is, is what human beings in all 
cultures, time periods, it, everywhere is their greatest fear. You know, mm-hmm. it's what we all ward off. Um, it's an incredibly universal fear. And to face it and live through it and continue to be alive and thrive through it does give you this gift of fearlessness. Mm-hmm. It gives you the ability to sort of go, well, what, what could be harder? You know, yeah. what's going to, what is going to take me down if this didn't destroy me? And I, I, because I can't change it, I'm grateful to my father for that gift. Yeah. Um, and I have to say this, this musical feels like such a symbol of face it and thrive. Well, and make something better out of it. I mean, because you have that. this, yes. yeah, it is this thing of like, th- this family is broken and this family is broken. And if you put the two together, then we have, instead of two broken families, we have one whole family. Sans Neville, he has to kind of go away. But that's yeah. the way, he probably does need to go away, actually. And like go out and, you know, live in the world. Take some a walks. Little bit. Yeah. yeah, do something. Meet meet anybody would yeah. be a great start. Exactly. Like literally meet anybody. Go on some dates. Something. Just walk in the world. Yeah. Just be a, be a person among people. Um, I mean, he's a doctor. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who looks and sounds like Robert, Robert Westenberg. <laughs> In another life, he could be, you got I don't know, prospects. a prince. you got good prospects, yeah. kid. That's what I'm saying. Well, it depends on how he was raised. Exactly. exactly. But, yes. <laughs> so, th- that that is one thing that I, I, I do love in this story, in that in that idea of grief, is the... That it, it you can do it a lot by yourself, but you can't do... It's both kinds of work. You have to do the work on yourself... And then you have to do the work with other people. You need other people's help. You need help. other people. To, yeah. That's, I mean, we are social creatures and. And um, the world will come find you. I, I mean, mean that's it what, will come for it you. It will come find you. And yeah. that's what it does. I mean, it's what it does to Archibald yeah. is the universe sends him Mary Lennox. Yeah. It comes and gets him. And it's like, nope, sorry. And you could argue that the Craven family comes and gets her. Yeah. You know, it comes for her and suddenly she is. In Yorkshire. Right. Um, like in, literally, you know, not literally a million miles away, but a million miles away uh, from, from her reality from India, and anything she's ever yeah. known. So I, I think that there's just something for, yes, you're right. Like, um, the, the past is not going to be, is not going to let you get away. You no. have to face it at some point. Yeah. And, um, to, like you said, to make something beautiful out of pain is, I think the ultimate gift of what makes humans amazing is Mm -hmm. we have the capacity to interpret life in the way that other animals don't Mm -hmm. um create beauty out of uh adversities and in making peace with nature too you know Mm -hmm. um and you know perhaps that's a good metaphor for our time sure i don't know there's something about this uh score and this story that spoke to a young girl I mean, it's just gorgeous, like me, and um, and speaks to me now. Sure. Um, so, when do you cry? Because we're going to get into where I cry in a minute, okay. and I'm, I'm probably going to cry. So I want to get into where you cry first. Um, <laughs> I think the it's interesting. I feel very uh, emotionally uh, resilient until hold on. When you see a man who's raging and is jealous and you've walked through all these hidden behind for years. What do you do then? Is you tell yourself to 
feels so very much like what my life felt like. Sure. And I think I cry. Uh, You've I, walked through walls he's hid behind for years is one of those lyrics I mean, that just makes me stand up. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just sit up so straight. I, that is such an amazing visual. It's just... Uh, that song mm, is yeah, sick. Yeah, pretty good. Um, <laughs> and then at the very end when they're playing in the garden and Archibald catches them mm-hmm. and... He wakes up and, you know, this is your home and this, my lovely yeah, child, is, is your, your garden. garden. Yeah. Is just... I do like the line, three isn't very many. I ought to be able to remember three people quite well. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's a nice line. Um, I think those are my cry moments. And I do, but I will say there's a goosebump moment Ooh. when she uh, finds the door and unlocks the door to oh, the sure. garden. Mm-hmm. So I sob... Uh-huh. And I mean uncontrollably sob during How Could I Ever Know. Oh. All I need is there in the garden. All I would ask is care for the child of our love. Come go with me, safe I will keep you. Where you would lead me, there I would. two song even that three song run uh-huh. of the letter to where in the world to how could i ever know is just it's one of those one two three music theater I punches that you're just you. like it shouldn't you shouldn't be this good because it's kind of like it, yeah. i mean in a much lighter musical it's like vanilla ice cream she loves me in a trip to the library we're yes. just like really like all these songs are just gonna happen in a row uh-huh. and i'm gonna Hit i didn't parade. know I, and in that show you're like i didn't know i could feel this good and yeah. in this music you're like oh my god you just yeah, you yeah, crumble yeah. into a corner because how could i ever know really is i mean it's archie's ultimate it, that's the end of his arc right and what I love about it is something that I didn't love about it when I was a kid, which is the ghosts. Mm-hmm. The ghosts, I felt like, well, it's a neat music theater convention, whatever, you know, like they're the chorus and they're there and they're not. But there's this beautiful, as I'm an adult thinking about that line he has where he says, they're only a ghost of someone alive is still, still holding on to them. them. And the ghost isn't bad. You know what I mean? The ghost is just, it just is. There is a ghost in the house and the ghost is named Lily Craven and that song having, you know, Archibald has this tremendous, you know, Mary writes him this letter, which is a funny little song. Uh, and then he reads it 
and then he reacts to it in his moment of like real his first real moment of anger right which hit me I don't think I've talked about this before on the show. It, when I had, so I had a friend named, I have talked about my friend Jeff Walker who died when I was 14. He was 17. He died in a car accident. And I, because we were in tech for My Fair Lady, didn't get to go to the burial at his funeral. Oh. So I never went to his grave. And wow. I am a person who loves cemeteries. I love the peace I love the history. I love uh, great cemeteries like Rock Creek here in DC uh, have such wonderful design. And there's so much. There's, I, I personally feel a lot of love in cemeteries. I know that some people no, find I do that counter. So I went on the 20th anniversary, 20, yeah, I think 20th anniversary of his death, I went. I was like, I'm going to go to the grave. I hadn't been there ever. And I was surprised by the predominant emotion I felt was anger. Mm-hmm. You know, he died in a car accident in the car he was driving. There was no one else involved in the accident. And I don't exactly know what happened, but I got very mad at him mm-hmm. 20 years later of a sort of like, yeah. you should be here right now. And like, that makes me mad. And I was not expecting, that really caught me off guard. I was expecting to be sad, but I got angry and it was so odd. And it was a lot. And now like thinking about the song, it is that raging against like the last little part of it was yeah. just this tremendous rage. Right. And Archibald misdirecting that rage at Lily and saying, like, I have to go somewhere to get away from you. Where can I go? Right. How far do I have to run? You're everywhere I look. And her correctly interpreting it as a, like, you're mad at me because I'm dead. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was going to die. But here we are now. Like, this is where we're at. Right. And you can't, you've got to just let me go. Find some new way to love me now yeah. that we're apart. Right. Oh my God. And, it is, um, and it's the moment that, I'm going to start crying. This really the beauty of the writing of it is the fact that like, we don't know what the ghosts are, whether they're, whether you believe they're actual like physical manifestations of, of dead people or whether they exist fully in someone's head. The scene works on both levels. Totally. Because it's either the actual ghost of his dead wife saying, You've got to let me go. And then she leaves. Or it's his own mind saying to himself, you have to let her go. Or is it just both? It can be both. Exactly right. Well, again, to tie it into something we were talking a second ago, it's like Harry Potter. It's like the scene in after, again, spoiler alert for the seventh book now of Harry Potter. After Voldemort hits him and he's in the, talking to Dumbledore in the train station and he asks, is this real? And the sort of response is, does it matter? matter? Yeah. Right. And that, but that's it. It doesn't matter whether they're really ghosts right. or whether it's in your head or whether it's both at the same time. It, he gets where he needs to go. Right. It's, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But it is really like. Uh, Thank you, everyone, yeah, for making it. This <laughs> everyone involved. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You do good work. Um, it, it is really a, you know remarkable piece of work and one that I have I I pass on and love I forget John Cameron Mitchell's in this he plays I Dickens. know there's a lot of people in this Alice, show Alison um, Fraser Alison Fraser I know right who, who, yes absolutely singing hold on the casting was really good and and uh, you know Daisy is I feel like we haven't given her space here I don't think we've said her name once a, actually Daisy <laughs> Egan is transcend is transcendent yeah. Yeah. in this oh and, yeah I mean is one of those special child prodigies that is touched by the son. And Mm -hmm. of course in her life, 
I think a reason I felt so connected and didn't even realize it, you know, dealing with her own mother's yeah. illness mm-hmm. and facing the profundity of that. And I'm so glad she was able to close that circle as Martha mm-hmm. for the, the song hold on that clearly I've heard her speak about this meant so much to her about, you know, holding on through her mother's illness Yeah, was able to give that back and talk to her younger self in a mm-hmm. way, you know, and yeah. I mean, like you say, that, well, yeah. it's, it's like you were saying with the wedding in Fiddler, though. I mean, it's yeah. literally like she's singing to the actress who's playing the part that got her, where she's right. like, a, that was her Broadway debut and her Tony Award, and like, she will forever be known right. as Mary Lennox right. in a certain, of those of us who know theater. Right. And it is, yeah, she's, yes, she's tremendous. Tra- transcendent. And, yeah. And also someone who I will say, like, if you follow her on Instagram and social media, lives out loud with her own grief and her own joy and of yes of being a mother and being an actor and being you know the person who goes through the things she goes through in, in yeah. life and it's very valuable to me to, to yeah. have people out there who are able to articulate their emotions in a plain and immediate way it's kind totally. of the best of social media to yes, me in that I, sense i feel you and also destigmatizing emotion yeah destigmatizing especially for women Especially for women, because yeah. I think we can so often be painted as hysterical. Right. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, 2,000 years of patriarchal conditioning. Sure. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you for doing this. This is this is a wonderful <laughs> conversation. And uh, so you're doing, uh, you are Sal- for Line Sally Bowles. I currently in, am. In Cabaret. Indeed. At Olney. Here at the and, Olney uh, Theater Center. And runs through October 6th. 6th. There we go. And I actually have a job coming up right after, which was Ooh, just announced good. today. Oh, um, hey. I am doing a musical adaptation of Alan Lightman's Einstein's Dreams off-Broadway oh. with Prospect Theatre Company uh, at 59 East 59th Street from middle of November to the end of 2019. All right. So I'm very excited. I'm playing uh, Josette, who turns out to be the manifestation of time. Ooh! So wow! Very so cool. Just beautiful. A simple role. Like just a simple kind, role. Yeah, the regular you know? ingenue kind of performance. Um, like and that. I'm really excited to. I I do a lot of revivals, and I mm-hmm. but I I also really try to focus on doing new work and mm-hmm. have you know had the privilege to be part of some world premieres in my career so far, and it's really exciting to be able to work on something brand new. Great. And yes. of course, you know, live at home. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, which yes, is yes, wonderful, yes. and um. And write, doing some more writing, so always Great. working on new manuscripts. And, and people can find you at... People can find me at Al Silbs, A-L-S-I-L-B-S, on all social media. That that um, moniker was given to me by the great Elizabeth Stanley, who will oh. soon be in Jagged Little Pill, who um, I met her doing the revival of Hello Again. And she goes by Al Stans. And uh. she said, maybe you can be the Al Silbs to my Al Stans. And I was like, I've never been more honored. In, right. um, I feel like Elizabeth Stanley and I are kind of like Rita and Marilyn, you know, like uh, these brunette blonde Bob Shelley sure. pals. Um, so she, uh, she's Al Stans, I'm Al Silbs. So Al Silbs on social media or alexandrasilber.net. And um, yeah, I'd yes. love to hear from you. So. Uh, yes. Yeah. Stop on in. Stop Thank on you in. so much, Al. Thank this you. so great. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts from the convenience of your iPhone and or check out the original cast on Stitcher if that's how you get down. My thanks to Al Sober for talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. <laughs>